You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culture Determined on Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, Ari Conwade, and my guest today is Lee Stein. Uh, Lee, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Lee Stein, and I'm the author of four books, including the novel Self Care that just came out on June 30th. So I'm holding up my copy. <laughs> this is this is the uh, preview or you know galley copy, so it looks slightly different in real life, but uh, this is what you can get. And it is a satire of the wellness industry, girl boss feminism, and uh, internet culture. Uh, so thanks for coming uh, on the show and back on blogging. So you did an episode on feminine chaos with uh, Kat Rosenfield and Phoebe Maltz-Bovey. Yep. And uh, but I, you had sent me a copy of the novel as well, and I thought there's enough stuff to justify a second conversation with you. But uh, we'll try not to overlap with that one. For, but for people who don't, who didn't uh, listen to that episode, I guess we should recapitulate just a little bit. So you gave a, you have a brief thematic summary. Um, and so, uh, how would you how would you set up what 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 the book is about? Well, so the the plot of the novel is about these two white women, Marin and Devin, who co-found a company called Ritual, which is spelled R-I-C-H-U-A-L, which is kind of like if Instagram and Goop had a baby. So on the outside of my book, it's kind of a fluffy satire of the of Goop and Gwyneth and all that stuff. But inside the book, I think I'm saying some deeper and darker things about the way um, we leverage our identity and our uh, the worst things that have ever happened to us as content as and as currency in some of these online fights. And my experience is uh, for three years, I ran a secret, but not really secret, Facebook group of 40,000 women writers. And I organized conferences based on the Facebook group, which were wonderful. But the infighting within the Facebook group is what ultimately led me to burn out, resign, leave Facebook forever and write this novel. Oh, so you're you're off Facebook entirely? Um, yes, and I would have to be. I'd leave Twitter if I keep joking. Like I'd leave Twitter if I could, but I feel like Twitter is like, especially promoting a book in a pandemic. Like I just have to be on Twitter, like banging my my symbols like yeah, every day. That makes sense. Um, well, uh, so I I enjoyed the book. Yeah, I think you're right. It, 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 you know, fluffy on the outside, a little darker, more cynical, more barbed on the inside. So there were some twists and turns that I didn't see coming. Uh, I won't spoil anything for people who want to read it, but um, definitely towards the end, there were some interesting uh, twists and characters doing things I didn't expect. Um, so, yes. Okay. So you have, it's written in, um, you know, first person narration by three main characters, um, uh, Marin, Gelb, who is kind of the um, behind-the-scenes uh, person running the website, and then Devin is her last name, Avery. Yep. Uh, who is sort of the front person, somewhat the, the like, face, the Gwyneth of yeah, yeah, of this uh, world, and she uh, really lives the self-care lifestyle, and you know is, is beautiful and uh, is doing yoga every day and solid meditation and. Um, and, and seems from the outside, like, you know, an influencer, a perfect influencer, perfect life kind of person. And then you have, um, the third character, uh, Khadija, right? Yep. Khadija. Uh, who is the, uh, editor of the site and she's African-American. Uh, she is, uh, younger than the two other women and is, you know, kind of figuring out how she can sort of like move up with, within this uh, within this world or maybe escape this world. Um, how did you, yeah, she has, she has some ideas for how to make it an actual feminist workplace aside from just branding it as a feminist workplace, I would say. How did you decide to use, um, uh, you know, different narrative sections in the style of as I lay dying, um, for, for this book as opposed to like a omniscient narrator or something like that? Oh, that's interesting. I'm I'm really comfortable writing in first person. I've never written anything in third person. So first person is just what I'm comfortable doing. Um, but with the character of Khadija, um, I thought I would, I thought the book wouldn't be good enough if it was if it was only white women. I just thought it wouldn't succeed because I, from my own experience, you know, running a feminist nonprofit and I was kind of, I had a viral essay in Gen Magazine about girl bosses. I was kind of girl boss adjacent because I wasn't making any money, but I was kind of like, um, going to these fancy lunches and like my TJ Maxx discount outfit um, for a period of time. But just the way that um, white women kind of rose to the top and they had 
in, in some ways tokenized women of color because they, you know, you needed them in the photo op. So like Marin and Devin need Khadija to appear on the website as like one of their staff members so they can show that they're good feminists. Um, but they put a huge burden of work on her. Um, and each of the three women, by the end of the book, I realized like each of the three women thinks that they have it the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, they think the other two have it better than them. And so that's kind of like a sad reflection, I think, of this kind of competition um, uh, among women, even women who claim to be feminists and who claim to support each other. I think this is just a sad state that I observed. Mm-hmm. And then you also have kind of um, you have like press releases and uh, te- like texts and um, Slack kind of uh, chats and stuff. Uh, you know, uh, threaded in between the different sections. Um, especially the the parts where you had the like community members. I guess it's kind of like a Slack discussion. I thought that that was one of the funniest parts, and it really did. You did a very good job of replicating the strange things that happen on like a message board or a chat room or something, where people who have all these different agendas are like coming together and misunderstanding each other on purpose or by accident or, or, or something else. Or looking for the worst possible interpretation of what someone has said. Yes. Um, I think one of the projects I set out for myself with this book is like to recreate what it's like to live online. Cause I spend so much time online. I've been on internet community since I was 13. I'm 35. So I feel like this is the place, this is the territory I know really well. I feel like I came of age on the internet. Um, I've I've always put the internet in my work. Like 10 years ago, I did a poetry reading and someone came up to me afterwards and said, like, I don't know if you should put Facebook in your poetry because people won't know what that means in the future. So so (laughs) I pray pray they don't know what it means in in the future, but I, I I feel like they probably will. And then some people say, like, aren't you worried you're putting all these references in the book and like people won't know what they are in the future? But I'm trying to capture like this moment, like I'm trying to capture what it feels like to be scrolling all day until like, you know, your thumb hurts and you feel physically nauseous, which is my personal experience online. Yeah. It, uh. It's, it's, it's very of the moment. Um, and I think you, for, you know, a, book, a novel takes a long time to write. I think you said you, you started it after you left the binders group or yeah, so I started that? it in 2017 and the book is set in February, March of 2017 because at that time Trump had just taken office and we were all, as you may remember, like we were all like, outraged and like shocked every single day at some new like crazy thing that he had done. And I thought like, I have no idea what's going to happen for the next four years, but I do know what happened in February and March of 2017. So I just aimed my book right at that time period. Cause it was defined and delineated. Mm-hmm. And so then, I was writing it during the me too stuff, but it's not set during the fall of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I guess the, the, the fourth main character is um, uh, Evan Wiley uh, and can you talk about him and where, where that character came from? Yeah. So Evan, Evan Wiley is a, uh, feminist ally. I was thinking of, I don't know if you remember this, but there's this actor, Matt McGorry. I think he was on Orange is the New Black, but he kind of branded himself as a feminist ally and he like wore the right t-shirt and he like wrote pieces for like bustle about how men can be feminist too. And I just was like so cynical about this. Um, So Evan is a character who is a former contestant on The Bachelorette who leaves the show in a huff because of the toxic masculinity on the show. (laughs) Um, And he's the main funder for Ritual, this imaginary company in my book. And that comes from the fact that um, VC funding is more likely to go to white men than anybody else. It's really hard for women to get VC funding, particularly women of color. But even for white women, it's very hard to get funding. So I thought these women need a male funder. <laughs> That's how they're going to get this thing off the ground. So he gives them funding. And in the course of the novel, some allegations of sexual misconduct come out against him. And the reader learns that he's actually been in a relationship with Devin, one of the, one of the founders of the company. Um, and that causes, uh, more drama. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm, I'm just thinking about how much, how much plot to go away. But um, okay, well, this is a, this would be a different direction. Um, I'm always interested in how uh, authors name their characters, mm. and you know, uh, so you have Marin, you have Devin, and you have Evan. Those are all pretty similar names. <laughs> um, and and Marin is very close to Karen, which is the name that we've all come to hate uh, over the past couple months. Is Marin a Karen? Great question. Yeah, well, I mean, she's the closest. She's the closest to a Karen of the main characters, I guess. But what? How did you decide on these names? Is there 
significance behind them? Is it a coincidence that they all kind of sound, or the three of them sound similar than Khadija's is so different? Yeah. I mean, Devin and Evan, I act, I definitely wanted to just be like a funny a funny play on just like generic white people names. Like I think there's a point where like Khadijah's boyfriend can't remember which one is Devin and which one is Evan and Khadijah has to remind him. <laughs> and then Khadijah is just like a name that I, that I loved and that I thought would be a little difficult for white readers, um, which has proved to be true, um, which I think is funny. Another thing that's been really funny is um, I've gotten a couple reviews that have said Khadijah is the the least developed character in the novel, that they thought the other the white women were more developed than Khadijah, and they spelled Khadijah's name wrong in the reviews, and I had to ask for a correction, which I thought was funny, because I thought, if you're going to fault me for, like, at least spell her name right. So, um, yeah, and I, often my name is mispronounced. I answered all kinds of, people don't, my name is unfamiliar to a lot of people, so people call me Leia, Lay. Um, so just having a name that people trip over is something that I'm familiar with. And that's also part of where Kadisha comes from. Yeah. Uh, likewise. Um, <laughs> so the, okay. So, um, one of the, uh, the, yeah. So I, I mentioned that there's kind of this like move, like cynical, some of the characters make moves that are more cynical or Machiavellian or something towards the end. And then there's kind of like, there's this part, you know, like, do they really believe all this stuff in the beginning? Like, do they believe this stuff about self-care? Uh, Devin, the way she thinks uh, is kind of like, she she says, like, the name brands of everything, like, the full name brand, uh, which is very funny. And it's, it reminded me a little bit of, like, something from David Foster Wallace or something that, like, oh, yeah. you know, this world where, like, the, the brands are the, like, the most important thing and you, you, you say the full name every single time. Um, and then, but yeah, but then there's some twists to the end. We'll not reveal those twists, but how did you, you know, like, are these, did you envision these people as kind of like true believers um, who embraced it or are they kind of cynical actors who saw this this thing they could do? Do they believe in self-care? Is this ambiguous? <laughs> it has no answer. Well, what do you De think? Yeah, Devin and Marin are, I see them as like extremes on a spectrum. So, Devin is so into wellness that she's sick. Like she has an eating disorder. She's so obsessed with clean eating and with exercise that it's, it's pathological. Um, and I think I did an event with like a yoga teacher. And I think a lot of the yoga audience recognizes this character of Devin. Um, you know, the, the woman who's always going on a fast, why is she going on a fast so frequently? Um, Marin, I think Marin identifies as a feminist. I think Marin would say she truly is an intersectional feminist. So she's kind of a caricature of, kind of this far left extremism where you can hurt other people as long as you're doing it in the name of social justice. So with all the plot twists that happened at the end of the book, I was thinking, how far can I, how far will Marin go in the name of doing what's right? Um, she believes that she's doing the right thing mm -hmm. at the end of the book. Um, she's not right about that. And the right, the right thing happens to align with her like interests at, uh -huh. at that moment. Um, yes which is to uh, generate so much revenue for her company that she can sell it for millions of dollars and make an exit. So I think my book is also about the way um, the, the algorithm incentivizes outrageous content. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, none of these are really free. We're giving them our feelings <laughs> and our thoughts and our opinions um, so that they can get clicks for these and sell advertising against our outrage. Mm hmm yeah, and it makes me think of something that Glenn Lowry has said on this website a couple times that, like, you know, th these are power moves. The, the way people are behaving in the, like, social justice warrior space are power moves. They don't know, people aren't, don't really believe this shit. They're just trying to, you know, win, uh, like, hurt their enemies and win power for their own side. I don't know how much I agree with that, but you can, certainly there's cynical actors in this world. And then there's probably, you know, the, the people who are, like, just following along who, are you know believe what they're you know believe it in a in a kind of not naive way but just you know they're going along with it and then there's some character like who is that guy uh, uh Deray is that his name the the guy who's always getting um oh yeah it's always like starting this new like nonprofit and like getting money but <laughs> like he's like steals the money and, and like abuses the staff or something oh he, yeah he's a Twitter figure is it Sean King oh Sean King that's what I'm thinking I'm not Deray sorry uh, Deray is a different person yeah um, yeah Sean King yeah I just read something about his they raised millions of dollars for this media empire that didn't exist yeah yeah he he, he, he seems over the past couple of years to have fr like semi fraudulently um, started these various companies <laughs> and have been not, not, not saying this would be good for the 
you know, racial justice um, movement, and then right. nothing, nothing ever really happened, and all the people who went to work for him got screwed over. Um, so, so that's I don't see like when I observe these dynamics online, I don't see it so much as Machiavellian, like deliberate. Um, I'm going to oust this person, and that means that I'll get this status, and then that. I see it more as people behaving um, in a way that's so self righteous, and that they believe that they're on the they're on the right side of history by doing what they're doing. Um, they see like like any conflict is like those people are Nazis and we're fighting the Nazis. Like it just right. gets framed in such extreme ways. So I see it more that they think they're they think they're on the good side, not that they're conniving um, Machiavellian actors. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. I mean, most most people probably so there's some people who are like um, Sean King who are maybe like you know uh, thinking of like the next scam they can pull off, and but that most people think they're doing the right thing, convince themselves they're doing the right thing, feel good when they're, feel like they're doing the right thing. And, um, and you get validation from the group. You get validation from the other people that are on your side and they back you up and that feels good. Yeah. Um, okay. So one thing, one strange thing that has developed in the past couple of years is, uh, these fights over, um, especially in, uh, YA young adult literature about, uh, the author writing something and then, uh, writing about a character, it's usually uh, of a race or nationality that isn't their own, and then they uh, get something wrong or something, or some, something is somehow offensive or off key, and then uh, they get dragged online, and maybe they um, the publisher cancels the book, or they withdraw. They even withdraw the book themselves. I think this. I just saw one within the past forty eight hours. Uh, this happened: someone withdrawing a book um, where the as a white author writing a like uh, fantasy novel that t- takes place in the. Uh, uh, within the Gullah community. Oh yes, I saw that one too. Yeah, um, which you know, the, I even I could have told you that one. <laughs> you can know, tread carefully with that one. But um, did you? So one of, one of your top, uh, three characters is black. Did you um, feel any hesitation? Did you feel like you might get dragged or something? If you get if you have something culturally insensitive in there, how did you think about that? Yeah. So and I, and I think it's 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 stretched beyond the borders of YA now because with the American Dirt controversy. Right. Um, and I think part of the American Dirt controversy is really interesting. It seems like it happened 100 years ago. But I think part of the controversy. <laughs> it was like the last cultural controversy before the pandemic started. So right. of, of a previous world. But I think part of the there are many layers to this, but one layer of it is the way that Janine Cummins, the author, went from identifying as a white person to talking about her Puerto Rican grandmother to kind of claim Latinx identity in order to give herself permission to write the book. So I feel like that opened the door for people to say, oh, it's convenient that you're Latinx when the book comes out, when you wrote this op-ed in the New York Times that you were white recently. So the way like identity can shift or, or, or people can claim identity when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient, I think is part of the conversation. But, um, as I said a couple minutes ago, I just I was a little nervous about writing from the point of view of a black character. And I really worked hard on Khadija's motivations for working for this company because I thought, why is she here? Like if I make these two white women awful um, and it's a satire, so I have to exaggerate and make it funny. Right. If I make them like, why does she have this job? And so then I thought I'll give her equity in the company. So if Khadija thinks like think about those first Facebook employees and how rich they are today, if she has that in her mind and she feels like she's on the ground of something, um, that would be motivation to be there. And I think it plays into what happens at the end too. Mm -hmm. So I really thought I really worked on her as a character and her motivations and in the same way I would work on any other character. Um, and I think I've been gratified so far to hear from black millennial readers that are connecting to Khadija. So Mm -hmm. I also, you know, I listened to other black millennials as I was writing it that, that them describe their, their workplace situations. Um, and I've had conversations with women of color that worked in my own organization when I was running BinderCon. Um, so I think I just, you know, I have my antenna up, I'm listening. Um, and I was, I was aware of, I was, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, I didn't even notice that I wrote a black character. I think that would be disingenuous. <laughs> it was very deliberate. I, mm-hmm. I wanted her to, I, I thought she should exist in this world that I was creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I, you know, I, I think this whole, um, this whole movement, uh, is, is pretty ridiculous. And, uh, I, I mean, this movement about like, you, you don't have the cultural, standing to write a, a certain character um and it kind of is like antithetical to what the ideals of literature has understood uh for hundreds of years and i, and I, ha- I did a glib tweet about this where i said you know um shakespeare wasn't even wasn't a prince and he wasn't even danish um <laughs> it, it, but, you know, but somehow he wrote hamlet 
and, right, and, right. and we're okay with that. Um, so you know, the 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 art the art is more important than the than the uh, artist or author. Like eventually, and I guess things either stand the test of time or they won't. I, I doubt American Dirt is going to stand the the test of time. Um, but I, you know, a few things do. One other interesting thing about identity is like at one point, at one point. Um, someone referred to Marin as Jewish, but Marin's not Jewish. She's Christian. Um, she goes to church in the book. Um, but because my last name is Stein and people assume that Marin is me, they assume that Marin is Jewish. I've also been interviewed for Jewish publications about the book. There's nothing Jewish in the book at all. So I think that's interesting too. Like, you know, other Jews want to want, if I'm succeeding, other Jews want me part of the tribe, which I appreciate. Um, right. But, but there's no Jewish character in well, my that's, book. You know, that's interesting because I, in the, so I guess, you know, there's a kind of Judar that a Jewish reader has, like, which character <laughs> is Jewish, which, you know, famous person out there is Jewish. And then, well, her last name is Gelb, which I guess is an ambiguous, ambiguously Semitic name. It could go, could go either way. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, Mar- Marin is, is, I, I don't know where that name comes from, um, but yes, okay, so so do people, so what do you think about that, that people are like, that, you know, Lee Stein, Marin Gale, these, the, these are the same people. Uh, how does that strike you? <laughs> it's it's okay with me. It's okay that I'm, that I'm read on to Marin. I mean, Marin is, you know, it's just funny because some people are like, I hate this character. And other people are like, oh, I so identify with Marin. So it's funny to um, get such different uh reactions. It's fine if you want to read me as Marin. I mean, Marin is, Marin works so hard and she's a martyr and she thinks she works, you know, she does everything that no one else will want to do. And she doesn't delegate because she thinks she's better than everyone else. And that's me. Um, I've been able to do, I've been able to do some cool things in my life because I'm a control freak workaholic. Um, but it's also my downfall. Um, are there, uh, so I mentioned, there are parts of this that remind me of David Foster Wallace's writing. Were there other authors that inspired you or other books that uh, you thought about when you were writing this? Yeah. So as I was, when, while I was writing it, my agent said, have you read American Psycho? And I said, no, I'm a good feminist because <laughs> my understanding of American Psycho is this is like a very bad book that, that would, you know, poison your mind if you read it. <laughs> so I bravely started reading it and I was like, this is hilarious. It's so funny. So a lot of what you mentioned, Devin's obsession with products. Oh, that, right, right, right. That's that comes from American Psycho, his right. Clinique multi-step regimen. I just love the way he juxtaposes um, the grooming r- rituals of this sociopathic killer. And so when the book sold to a publisher, my book was sold as American Psycho in a Goop Universe. And someone on Instagram was like, oh, my God, is someone going to get murdered with a jade egg? And I was like, that's such a good idea that I didn't think of. It's so funny. But then I say, like, my book is my book is American Psycho. But instead of murder, it's just like women behaving badly on the Internet to each other. OK, cancellation instead of. Yeah. Instead of murder, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I'm, I mean, someone like getting conked over the head with a jade egg could, would be a great scene in, in some sort of something or other. Um, yeah, I actually, I haven't, I ha- still haven't read that one. I've seen, I've seen parts of the movie, but, um, and there's famous scenes that the have become so funny where they're comparing business cards, yes, the business card scene, which is just like, I mean, it's just like social media. Now, how many followers do you have? <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, let's see. Did I have any other questions about the book itself before we move on to some other things? Oh, I want, I was wondering like, um, do you think, that, like, that, uh, well, this is moving more into the real world, that, that, that um, you know, in, over the past couple months, your book is prophetic in, in some ways, or prescient, and, or uh, someone told me that it's actually prescient, and I've been pronouncing it prescient my entire life, uh, so I don't know which one is correct, but I apologize either way, and... Um, I, I vote prescient, that's my vote. <laughs> and, uh you know, so there's these, like, these websites, like, um, uh, Cupcakes and Caviar, is that what it's called? Or, cashmere! Cashmere. Um, you know, places I, I, basically sites aimed at women for dealing with, like, clothing and stuff, and, and fashion and lifestyle stuff. Um, and some of them have, like, posted these, you know, these, like, well, I'm sorry, you know, kind of, like, big things on Instagram, just, like, a black background white text, I'm sorry, or something, and kind of groveling before their readers that, you know, they it, uh, they never acknowledged their white privilege, or they never, they treated their back, black employees badly, or never had any black employees, or something, and I think this is maybe an idea I'm picking up from the Feminine Chaos ladies, that, like, 
you know, it's, it's, it's somehow easier to get women to assume this kind of like, you know, like, like a, a woman is, is more likely to give in to this kind of like the demands of the mob because they want to like mollify the crowd. Whereas a man is maybe more likely to be like, go fuck yourself. I, I don't care what you say. And so that's why some of these, you know, you have these extensive apologies from these type of people and you could probably name it some of the other ones who, who I, I can't remember right now. I think maybe someone at the wing. Yeah, there was a whole, yeah, there was like a whole apology tour on Instagram. It was like Audrey Gelman of the wing, um, Jen Gotch of Bando, uh, man repeller, um, reformation clothing. It was all, it all happened, I think in June around the, um, the protests for black lives. Yes. Um, and I don't know. I mean, what is, you know, but what is like the male equivalent of those websites? Is it like Barstool Sports or something? I don't, I don't even know exactly. But like, you know, the Barstool Sports guys have like doubled down on being offensive assholes. Like they are, they are not like doing apology, apologies. Yeah, but look at um, oh God, what is his name? The guy in charge of the NFL that finally came out and Robert Roger Goodell, right? Who said who said like we were wrong about Colin Kaepernick? Okay, Holy that's true. Shit. That's true. And you have even just uh, yesterday the the Washington Redskins announced they're gonna. Change the name, for, you know, the name of their football team from a racial slur to something else. Um, yep. But maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's more about the personalization of of the brand when it becomes identified strongly with one person that's more likely to be a woman than a man. I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, Elon it's Musk so... is not apologizing. Who are the, like, who are other, like, you know, right, t- t- Tim, Tim, Tim Cook is not apologizing. Um, what, do, you, do you see anything to this? I have so many thoughts. But, like, one thing is, like, <laughs> The apologies are like dovetailing with the rise of like books like White Fragility. And I, in my bubble, and admittedly, I think my bubble is more women than men, but I see white women picking up White Fragility and white women issuing these apologies that it's this kind of self-help, this self-improvement thing that I'm going to work on myself. I don't know. Are are white men buying White Fragility in droves? In your experience, have you seen this in your bubble? Um, I... I don't think so. I mean, not, not that not that I can. I mean, I I don't know what my bubble is exactly. I, in my bubble, I've I've seen more people saying white fragility sucks than, than um, yes. yes than you but know like praising Kat, it. Cat Rosenfield wrote a great piece on this, and she and I have talked about this. I was trying to pitch an op-ed that didn't get picked up about a similar thing, but it's like white women like self improvement is like our jam, man. Like, just tell <laughs> us how to work on ourselves. Like, give us the book, give us the program. Is it five steps? Is it ten steps? Like, is it like a food that I should eat on a certain day, a certain time of day? Um, work on my white fragility. So, so the apology statements—they're so self-centered. Um, that's it's, and and I just ask like, what is this doing? Like, how is this helping Black Americans? I just I. It's one thing if you say, like, I'm going to really look at my higher, like, I'm going to really look at my staff and and I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to promote certain people. And I realize that I made the mistake here. I realize that the pay disparity, there's a pay disparity. That's one thing. But like to post something on Instagram, are you changing the world? Really? And this, again, I think is this pressure to be on the right side. There's a it's 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 conformity and peer pressure. If you see everyone else around you doing it. You have to do it or else the mob says, where's your statement? Mm-hmm. Don't you care about black lives? You probably saw a lot of people posting like a black square on Instagram on, oh a, on, on a certain black day. Oh, my God, Tuesday. Yeah, um, which was an interesting thing that I, – I, mean, I don't think it was a bad thing that they were doing. And then there's like this weird backlash saying that like, that, you know, it would like prevent people from getting like information they wanted about the protest or something. It was just all these so black boxes. They were boxes. using the one hashtag. So then the Black Lives Matter hashtag was flooded with black boxes. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I like how, like, you know, if you're getting your like protest information from Instagram, and I guess, you know, Instagram is very popular. So there are people who are doing that. But it, it, it seems, yeah, this seems kind of weird. Um, but yeah. One I mean, other thing I want to say about this, your original question about these apologies is when I was running this Facebook group, so that was 2014 to 2017, there would be drama every day. And then I would like come home from the trenches and I would like tell my boyfriend, like, here's what happened today on the internet. And he'd be like, this doesn't happen where men are. He's like, this is only happening because it's only women. And I'd be like, no, you don't know that. Whatever. Like I'd get all pissed. But now this drama is happening in the public arena. It's not happening just in these little subcultures. Like the fact that you know all about this YA stuff, um, it's happening out there in public. And the other thing is like in the novel, there's like the activist users of Ritual, the fake company, and then there's the wellness influencers. But today, those are actually on top of each other, that the wellness influencers are now making social justice a part of their brand explicitly. 
and and it's are they doing it because they're awakened they're woken to social justice issues or are is it a savvy marketing move this is my cynical self um but is 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 racial justice part of your wellness brand just what feminism was three years ago yeah and uh yeah so my my cynical slash like kind of marxist interpretation of a lot of what's happened over the past month is like um you know basically every corporation in america put forth some sort of statement supporting you know, deploring the murder of George Floyd and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in some way. And, and then it got down to even like th- things that became a where it was like Skittles or something, uh, you know, oh, was yeah. putting out, putting out uh, something. And so it, it became both like, OK, in some ways, this movement has won it. Like if, you know, the corporate America uh, is super powerful in America and, they, and they've decided to get on board with this. But also this movement doesn't really challenge the power of corporate America or maybe really change anything. Because if if every, you know, if everyone from the NFL to Skittles is signing on to this, then like what are they actually, you know, it, it, it can't be it can't be like upending the uh, <laughs> this is not revolutionary. This is this is just like branding. right. The Amazon statement was really rich to me, like the Amazon standing with Black Lives Matter. It's like it's like improve your warehouses. Like what? Like you have inhumane where, worker conditions, but you stand with Black Lives. Yeah, Amazon doesn't care about the lives of any of its workers. It seems like um, you know. They, I saw something about how they were like docking. Um, you know, they're very closely the workers in warehouses are very closely monitored, like minute by minute, what they're doing, and they were like docking time that people were like washing their hands. Um, you know, with, for preventing uh, the spread of coronavirus, you're like docking that time. So yeah, they don't, uh, Amazon doesn't, doesn't care about white lives, black lives or anything. Uh, they care about money. Um, but an interesting like flip that's happened is that like corporations are now people. So the corporations are going to tell us how they feel and what thing their Romney, are. Another thing that Mitt Romney famously said, corporations are people, my friend. Oh, he did. That's funny. I didn't remember that. <laughs> but, but, and then people have become brands. So people have to issue statements that have been vetted by their crisis comms team and corporations have to tell us how much they care and what their feelings are. And it's like backwards. Yeah. Yeah. The, cor- the, the, the corporation is a legal fiction. It doesn't, it can't actually have feelings. And right. yeah. And, and yet people seem to, I don't know, cry out for, uh, you know, uh, Sprint and AT&T <laughs> to weigh in on, on these things. But yeah, but if there's, you know, maybe, maybe there, there will be some change within, the, within these organizations. I'm, I'm cynical and I, and I doubt it. And we're almost, you know, somewhat like moving on to further things. Like, I don't know, like the, you know, attention span of Americans these days, like can't really encompass all that much at the same time. So, you know, uh, June well, was Black Lives Matter. there's a lot of bad stuff happening at once. <laughs> yes. And, and now we're on to, you know, the Harper's letter and, um, you know, 50 other things that are assaulting our senses every single day. Um, okay. I think that is, do I have anything else on, on the, um, no, I think that's it on the book, but let's, but I also want to talk to you about, um, well, I guess, okay. There's, there's, there's at least a couple things. So one is, um, an idea that was partially inspired by something you said at an event, uh, which was an online event because this is pandemic. So you did an online book event with, um, the, uh, two hosts of, uh, Blocked and Reported, who are Jesse mm-hmm. Single and Katie Herzog, mm-hmm. and also the two hosts of Feminine Chaos, um, Kat Rosenfield and Phoebe Waltz-Bovey, um, uh, you know, over Zoom. And mm-hmm. you were talking about um, binders and the moderation and kind of how, um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was kind of how, you know, no, like, you, you would never make, the, you never make the people happy. Um, you know, there, there's, <laughs> there was never like some sort of win-win thing when it came to this, like people were always agreed. And then there's just a constant flow of this stuff. So we should, and then we want to note that maybe that this event became somewhat controversial. Um, but let, let's, let's um, put a pin in that for now. And so I was thinking that like, uh, so I, so I'm a moderator. I moderate the comments uh, on blogging heads and also on YouTube. And um, it's not fun. Uh, it's a pretty, it's pretty thankless. Uh, and no one, no people are rarely like, "Thank you, moderators. You did a great job today." Uh, usually, they're like, "Fuck you, moderators. I hate you. I'm gonna murder you." Or not, not, not that far, but just like, you know. Aria, go- let me just say thank you for all your labor as the moderator. <laughs> yeah, I, what about you know? So I did. I actually did a joke tweet yesterday that it was uh, International uh, Thank the Moderators Day. Um, and, they deserve. You deserve that. I yeah. think. Um, but yeah, okay. So, so can you talk a little bit about your experience? And then, I, but it also made me think about how a lot of the problems that 
are in the modern online world leaking into the real world because we're all online are really moderation problems. Um, but can you, can you talk a little bit more about moderating the, uh, yeah. this group? That's super interesting. So, so my experience was this group of, it, it was like 30,000 and it grew to 40,000 by the time I left. Uh, and I didn't start the group, but I was an early member and really excited by the group. And then I took it over with some other people. Um, but I, and, and we collaborated. So there was like a collaborative effort to make like a code of conduct. I think both for the conference, we had a code of conduct and I think we had it in the group. Um, and so there were reasons that you could lose your lose. You could get kicked out of the Facebook group. Um, and one thing that I noted, and then there were, there were 200 subgroups. So I, I ran the main group and then there were subgroups for all kinds of writers. So like, if you were a travel writer, there was a subgroup for you. If you were an essayist, if you were a fiction writer, if you were LGBTQ, there were identity groups. Sometimes we'd get these messages that like, so-and-so was bad in the subgroup, kick them out of the main binder. And we would say, my co-founder and I would say like, they haven't violated any of the rules. Like we had to create some kind of structure that we could check things against. So it wasn't just like, I personally dislike this person. I'm kicking them out. Like that didn't happen. There had to be a structure and rules. Um, but of course it's much messier than that. And the people pleaser, I mean, this is just, this is just my own personal flaw, but I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a Libra. I like harmony and compromise. I want everyone to get along. You know, some of these, the biggest conflict, I can't remember if I talked about this in the group, but the biggest conflict of all was whether the conference should allow babies and children at the conference. We had a no babies and children policy. There was a backlash to that. And so a secret Facebook group was formed in order to stage a protest against us on Twitter using our hashtag because every conference, our hashtag would trend. So they strategically plotted to take us down the weekend of the conference by saying that we weren't feminists by not allowing babies and children. And this was like, I was I still to this day don't know if I made the right decision or the wrong decision. I could not figure out what the right thing to do was because I listened to the women on my team, many of whom were moms. They said, no babies and children at the conference. This is my weekend away. Um, and then other people online who had never been to our conference said, how can you call yourselves feminists if you don't allow nursing infants at the conference? And I heard both sides, but like I couldn't find a way to please both sides. So I ended up putting together a working committee to work on this. and. Um, you know, I, tr I, I kept trying to make it collaborative because we were driven and organized by volunteers. And so the only way this thing got off the ground was with people volunteering to put in the work w alongside me. Um, I only made $12,000 a year doing this. So this was not my full time job. Mm -hmm. So I think something that made me really cynical is, you know, how how hard I tried to involve the community and how much resistance I faced because it's so much easier to critique than it is to build. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that, that's a universal thing. It's much easier to tear down and, and uh, people online are very good at tearing down, but, but uh, creating something and building something and maintain, maintaining it is difficult. So I, yes, yeah, so I've been involved in content moderation at blogging heads for like a decade or so. And actually, um, longtime viewers may remember that, uh, uh, Robert Wright, creator of blogging, co-creator of blogging heads. And I once had a, um, a occasional series called commenter court where we would examine disputes in the comment forum and try to decide who had, you know, violated the rules or crossed a line first and who should get an admonishment, um, or something. I love that idea. How did you create the rules? Like, how do you create the rules for the comments? Well, I, I think the rules, I, I can't remember exactly. There were, there were maybe they, they still exist somewhere online. There were rules. It was like a previous iteration of, it was vBulletin, not Discuss. Um, and so it was, it was a somewhat different setup. And I, I think, I mean, there were the standard rules of like, you know, no like violent threats, racial slurs, um, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And then there were maybe just that we try, I think we, there's only like three or so. We just tried to keep it very simple and try to, um, make it like, you know, so it wouldn't need like, it was somewhat self-sustaining or obvious, but I think it ultimately didn't really work. I mean, one thing that's different about blogging has is it, at least in his original conception, it was people from right and left coming together. So it wasn't like the daily Co's sites where it's all liberals fighting each other. And where there's also a, when, it, when everyone is supposed to agree, like have some set agreement, then like the people who are on the extremes can kind of hijack the entire thing and move the group consensus like further in, in their direction. Whereas, whereas this was usually people from right and left uh, fighting with each other and which, you know, continues to this day, but not as much as, as it used to. And I mean, we eventually just gave it up because it really like, it, it didn't seem like it was 
doing anything people would get. I mean, we, we kind of did it in a, um, like, uh, keeping it a light tone, and it would be like, I was the prosecuting attorney, Bob Wright was the judge, I would say, I think it's this person, he would, you know, he would uh, think about it and issue issue a verdict, and, like, we ne- no one ever got banned through this process, it was mainly, like, supposed to be, like, instructed, but yeah, p- ma- people, some people liked it, other people got offended by it, you know, they didn't want to uh, hear someone talking about their their comments and oh and they so just wanted out there yeah and so um or th- they claimed they were being misunderstood misrepresented and so we eventually just stopped doing it um but yeah because they couldn't speak in their defense in the court i think that's part of it you know people would respond uh there was a comment thread attached to each episode and it's these these episodes kind of got lost when we tr- transitioned to a different uh hosting platform or, or content management software um so so they i don't think you can find them online anymore but um I don't know if that's sad or not, actually. Maybe that's a good thing. But um, this is like circa, you know, 2010. And yeah, so that didn't really work. And then, I mean, so essentially now, like there's a sense of what the rules are. And I think it should be obvious to everyone, you know, what the rules are. But um, it does kind of come down to just me, you know, saying like, is this, should this deserve the boot or not? And people very rarely get banned, but they do occasionally get banned. But like, like it doesn't, yeah, like I said, you're never making everyone happy. Um, the person, you know, the the person who broke, you know, rarely is the person who like violated the rule or whatever. Saying like, so this so this is not like the you know white fragility kind of thing where people are like saying, "I'm sorry, I promised you to do better." More likely, they're like, "Right, go fuck yourself." <laughs> so so they're mad, and um, and yeah, so it's just it's very it's very difficult to do even within like these forums and then you know uh there's the blogging as comments commenters tend to be a little more high-minded than the youtube commenters where you get more drive-by people who find the video through you know algorithmic display or something uh-huh. or, ran- or random search so they're not like uh they don't really know the they're whole not setup. like loyalists yeah, the and so, and so, brand. you know there's the obvious stuff to delete like making fun of someone's appearance or way of speaking and um and then you know you get the racist anti-semitic uh and uh anti-woman kind of stuff so yeah, it's 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 a mess. But then what it, what it made me think about was like, you know, okay, so what are the what are some of the major like cultural controversies of our age? Um, you know, cancel culture, um, uh, fake news online, um, Donald Trump on Twitter. You know, what what, what do we do about him? Um, you know, he Donald Trump will will tweet something that's obviously not true. How does how does the news uh, how do, how does the news media report it? Um, these are all in some ways problems of like message board moderation. Uh, you know, Facebook and one Twitter o- are message yeah, boards. One other thing I'd add is that it was the, there are certain there are certain people who really thrive on outrage, and I think I would. I hope that I didn't. I mean, I I don't feel like I ever joined a pylon to hurt another person, and I hope that's true. As far as I remember, I don't think I did. But outrage can feel really good, um, and I think there are certain voices that are louder than others. You see the same characters show up again and again. I don't know if this is your experience moderating, but like. I saw it when I was doing the Facebook group, I'd seen the same players over and over again. And for years after I resigned, until we all went inside our houses, I would run into women, I would meet women and they'd be like, oh, I'm a binder, I'm a binder. And I would say, oh, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if I know you. And they'd be like, I just lurk. So many people just lurk and never comment because they just opt out of the debate, the debate. But some people are, love this stuff. They love getting in the middle of it. Yeah, so it's for a sure. sport. It's a sport for some people. They enjoy it. Yeah, it's, there's a, there's a certain personality type that wants to be a poster, um, as you know, say on Twitter. And I, yeah, I've been you know I've been a poster since like 1995 when uh, my family first got AOL, and I found a um, message board for X Men fans, and I was I was posting on there. So so this is you know 25 years. Mine or so. was an Andrew Lloyd Webber um, fan club chat room, <laughs> or maybe message board and then chat room. Yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, so basically, at any you know any. Um, forum needs a moderator, or it's going to be overrun by trolls. And I think even like like 4chan was classically the, the like unmoderated space. But I think even they started moderating because of like child porn and stuff. And yeah, and I think their font there was like a suicide, and their founder was really disturbed about it. Like the founder kind of walked back. When it yeah, was. I think the guy. Well, the the guy who shot up the mosques in New Zealand like That's posted his either his manifesto or his, like, live stream or something on 4chan. So then, like, the, the renegades from 4chan founded 8chan, so it's, like, even 4chan wasn't, was, like, you know, there are people who were, like, this is too moderated when it was famously, like, the, the Wild West chaos, 
um, and I, I might have some details about this wrong, wrong commenters sound off in the, in the comments if I have it wrong, but like, okay, so you, once you accept that you need some moderation, and then it really just comes down to like kind of a judgment call and, um, you know, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who wrote Moneyball had this podcast series that came out last year that was all about Michael Lewis. Yeah, Michael Lewis. I can't remember what it's called. But it was all about judgment and how no one, um, no one trusts judges anymore. And he talks about um, refs, you know, like challenges against the refs in the NBA and all sorts of, and you know, the people who are like looking at uh, credit default swaps or something from the government and trying to assess whether they were Triple uh, A or not. Like, like it's just like it is a weird thing just to say to like, okay, this person's going to say yes or no, right or wrong, and then you can't question that. So when, like, the ju- an actual judge in real life says wrong, like, they said he gets sent to jail, so that's that's the real world that has the force of the state behind it. When it's just some schmuck like me uh, moderating, it seems like, you know, why does he know more than I do? Um, you know, he's a moron, I'm great, and, you know, let's, yeah, yeah. let's, let's be pissed off about it. So, you know, like... And I think there's huge distrust of leaders on both the right and the left. Like, we just don't trust leaders right now. And so if you're telling me you're the moderator, I'm like, what gives you the right to be the exactly. moderator? Exactly. Who put you in charge? You know, we just don't... We, we've lost faith in, in any institution, even if it's, you know, bloggingheads.com. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, so like, you know, cancel culture. So... Uh, if if a, if a group of people are like mobbing one certain person online, then like the moderators should step in and like give all those people time out or uh, block the hashtag or ban or ban them. Like how many times is something does a like someone celebrity names uh, cancel party or no is over party? That's what they say. It's like this K-pop stand thing. Uh, I don't know this. Okay, on Twitter, so I saw one. I just I saw one just before this. Sebastian Stan, who's an actor who's in the Avengers movies, uh, he plays Bucky uh, or the Winter Soldier. Uh, he, uh, Sebastian Stan is over party. Apparently, he did something bad. It was hard to figure out exactly what. He blocked a fan or something who was critiquing him, and so like his hashtag was there. And all these K-pop people, they they're called fan cams. They put they put like little videos underneath, and it's like oh, it's like a way of like celebrating their favorites, like the stars that they think are good or something. It's a it's a strange world, but like if if you know if responsible people were running Twitter, they would not allow a hashtag that's like so 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 and so is over party to trend because it's just so it's just like encouraging so it's bad, a ri- bad it's behavior. It's a ritual celebration of the end of someone's career. Yes, the thing is, they're they're it's always a celebrity, and their career is rarely over. And it's usually like Got a B it. or C level celebrity who sometimes it's like someone who's an actor on a show on the CW or something that I've never heard of. So, um, and I have a, so I have a sick fascination with this, obviously. Um, but yeah, so there's all sorts of things. Okay, in any normal, if there was a normal message board and Donald Trump did the things that he was doing on it that he does on Twitter, the moderator would ban Donald Trump. It's just that he is the president, and so they, Twitter can't ban him. And then you know, because he can't, he can't ban the president. Like that's that's insane. And so there's all these. I guess I just started thinking about how you know, like the the trouble with moderation because everything online now is essentially a message board. Uh, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're stuck yeah. in this world where, where we need the moderators to step in, but we don't know who those people should be or how exactly they, they should act. And so usually they don't act because like Facebook won't ban all these, you know, like Ben Shapiro's, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever his fake is like bullshit news site on Facebook is because he brings there's like millions of elderly people who are clicking on these articles every day. And Facebook yeah, likes that good for Facebook. So but like a responsible Facebook would be like, no, you know, all this all this shit should be gone, but they're, they're, they're not responsible They're So they are bad and, and they should be canceled in my opinion. I think there's just this general anxiety where we all feel like who are the grownups in charge? Like, isn't there someone in charge here? Like, like where's mom and dad? Like I, <laughs> I feel this all the time. Like I'm like, Obama, I miss you. Come back. I didn't appreciate you enough while I had you. Like he, it was like very fatherly and very comforting. Like I feel like my blood pressure lowers just listening to his voice even today. Like I just feel calmer. <laughs> Um, it's so the opposite of Trump, but, um, yeah, Trump, Trump wants to rile people up. That that's his. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I'm of two minds on this moderation question. I think I used to be, um, I used to be in favor for more serious moderation from these platforms. I used to be in favor of them doing more, um, to, to stop the spread of fake news and that stuff. And I think I've come around to the other way because I think, where do you draw the line if you give them more power to say who can say what? And I, heard an interesting point from Jonathan Haidt on Sam Harris's podcast where he said um, free speech doesn't mean freedom of reach. And so he had his idea is that like people should have to um, 
what's the word, validate their identity. So you can't be an anonymous troll. You would have to sync it up with your real name Mm -hmm. so that whatever you say online is really associated to you as a person. I thought that was an interesting idea because I see stuff on Twitter all the time where I'm like, is this a bot? I don't even think this is a person. Um, So the the proliferation of bots, especially leading up to the election, like in foreign actors interfering with our election, if, if we had to verify our identity, would that help with that problem? Yeah, I think that that would help in some ways. And there's probably people in the comments who will say things like, you know, I, uh, I'm an untenured professor at, uh, you know, uh, like a rural college or something. And, you know, this is I, the only way I can speak. I can speak my mind and. Uh, things like that, which 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 makes sense, but um, and yeah, I see that too. I see that too. I mean, I've thought about I've thought about making a, a fake account, like a burner account, for myself, so I can so really I can say really what say I what I you want. mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, uh, for me, you only get the straight, you know, hundred percent. Uh, there's some drill tweet that's like that. You know, it's like where it ends with Twitter.com. I live for this. Um, it's like no trolls, <laughs> no bullshit. Um, okay, so but yeah, I think I, I might write something about this. Uh, if I can flesh this out and, um, but yeah, the more there's a, like the thinking about an online problem, it often, you can often think, oh, this is, this is a moderation problem. And yeah, like I said, online life, uh, is becoming very similar to, to real life. Um, okay. Do you want, do you want to talk briefly about that? How you got some blowback recently and maybe some people are trying to cancel you for, <laughs> um, for appearing at an event with such you know, horrible people as Katie Herzog and Jesse Single, who have both appeared on this very program. Oh, wow. And you're safe? Um... I, I Well, thankfully, <laughs> I'm such a nobody that uh, that no one's tried to cancel me. Uh, but um, I'm sliding under the radar for now. Yeah, it's, um, I guess, I guess I, I was, it would be disingenuous to say that I didn't think there would be some controversy because I am aware. So I feel like I met this like a Venn diagram where like on the one side of the Venn diagram are like all the online feminists that I met through my work with binders and BinderCon, And then on the other side, I have my, the ideologically diverse group of people I follow on the internet who are blogging, blogging heads hosts or who are, you know, Thomas Chatterton Williams or like the, we, the fifth guys, I like their podcast too. Um, People with different, you know, maybe different politics than me whose ideas are interesting. So I'm like at the intersection of this of this Venn diagram. But the people on this side, uh, I know that they don't like Katie and Jesse. And so I thought there might be some tweets that Katie and Jesse appeared in an event with me. But um, it it was more controversial than I imagined. So I'm in trouble. I'm guilty by association with Katie and Jesse now as if. Yeah, I might I might end up writing about this, but it, it seems to me that they have reputations as being transphobic, and I don't even agree with that premise. Um, so the pushback is somehow that I'm transphobic by associating with the people that I don't think are transphobic, and I just wish that my actions and my reputations would speak for itself because I started a conference for women writers that was inclusive of trans women from the very first conference we had trans speakers. So I, I think that that should speak for what my values are, and I'm hesitant to start defending myself on Twitter because I don't think I actually did anything wrong. Yeah. Um, but- I, I would say in general, it's a bad idea to ever try to defend yourself on Twitter. It's just, it's just like, it's a loser's game or, or, you know, a bugs game or something. Um, because yeah. immediately you'll have 10 people replying to you and say like, what about this thing? What about that thing? And But I think trans rights and I'm all for trans rights and trans access to trans people's access to healthcare. I'm all for that. But I think it's such a contentious issue right now, particularly with JK Rowling's um, opinions that it's just like, it's, there's this paranoia about who's a good person, who's a bad person, who believes the right thing and who believes the wrong thing. Um, And I'm somehow now caught up in this, even though my novel has nothing to do with trans issues. I don't think we said the word trans at all in the event that I did. It was nothing about that. I was was at the event. So I hope I don't get canceled just for being yeah, you know, a silent, a silent observer of the event. But the reason I connect with Jesse and Katie is because they write about internet culture and internet dynamics, which is what I write about. And I think, as someone who's been on the bottom of this pylon, I was, I would consider what happened with the baby drama at my conference like a pylon, like it was like this strategic thing to kind of destroy what I had built. Mm-hmm. Um, after I lived through that, I connect with other people that have lived through that. I mean, that's like a very human thing. I think to connect with other people who've been through what you've been through. And I think people on the left who have been through all kinds of traumatic experiences know what it's like to connect with other people who share their experience. Mm -hmm. No, there's a scene towards the end of the novel where there's a protest 
that happens at an event. Was that was that? Is there a relation between that and the online protest that happened um, a year ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to have a scene at a conference. I, when I was envisioning the book, I thought like that would be the end of the book. I thought it was going to culminate with this conference and this protest. Um, but then I wrote another third of the book. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, our first, it was like some of this, I was really sure, like our first conference, we rented out NYU's law school, um, which has this like big room with oriental rugs and oil paintings and all the oil paintings are white men. So you're just in a room with all these oil paintings. And the keynote was between Jill Abramson and Emily Bell, who is at Columbia. And one of them made a joke about like how ironic it was that we were all there being looked at by all these men. It was a women only event. And so that, that made it into the novel. (sighs) Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good scene, and you have some fun, there's some funny twists about how it how it plays out. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, the, it, there's this weird part of the like whatever we want to call the current like cultural craziness, um, the cancel culture what do you or think whatever. About cancel culture. Do you th- do you think that phrase is? I think people are trying to figure out a better phrase. But are you? Yeah. So well, well, I think it's a I think it's a bad phrase. There's, there, I think there's still people saying cancel culture doesn't exist. Um, I think that's a diminishing band of people who are holding out to this position. Clearly something is happening that's different than what happened 10 years ago. I think it's mainly, I think it needs to be like disambiguated from like an online phenomenon versus a kind of cultural phenomenon. I think really, and I, I, I apologize for referencing my past tweets so much in this conversation. I, I said maybe cancel culture is just Twitter culture. It's just like Twitter culture is expanding yeah. beyond Twitter. And so it's, it's, so there's like in Twitter, there's the ratio, which is when someone does a bad tweet and everyone replies, making fun of dunking, saying, go fuck yourself, uh, making fun of their name, their appearance, what a stupid moron you are. Um, and so that's when they get, when someone gets more replies and they get likes, that is scientifically proven to mean that they did a bad tweet. Um, so once that starts happening in real life where everyone is like ganging up on one, one, and I, I admit to participating in probably dozens of ratios because especially when it's a bad actor or like Ari Fleischer or, uh, you know, Carl Rove or something, then saying, uh, eat a turd, uh, which is one of my favorite phrases in recent years on, on Twitter. Um, and someone actually tried to cancel me for saying eat a turd to, to conservatives online. Uh, but we don't need to get into that. But, um, but, uh, yeah, so so translate that into the real world, it changes, and um, especially and then when the person has no like prominence, when it's an everyday person and or someone caught on video doing something stupid or be or being uh, racist or something on the street, and then you know we, we've all heard about these stories of the past couple months and years, um, and I mean yeah, I mean one one thing that an interesting data point from the past couple weeks is the. The, the Central Park birder um, said he was not going to testify or give a statement against the white woman who uh, called the police on him. And she's been charged with uh, false, filing a false report, which I think, which I think is report. appropriate. If you file a false report, um, th- th- that is a serious that like is a serious offense. It's a consequence for her actions. Yeah. No, uh, her being fired that I, I'm not a That's huge, also a consequence. not a huge fan of that. But um, yeah. But uh, anyway, so this guy, uh, I think his name is Christian Cooper. Uh, yep. Which is almost like in the, if there was a novel and you name this guy Christian Cooper, uh, people would be like, oh, "This is what are you doing? This is unbelievable." Um, he uh, he said he wasn't going to, so he tweeted he wasn't going to do it. And then people in the replies were like, "What? What are you talking about?" Like, you know, they were they were arguing with him and 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 seeing, being like, "You suck for not uh, doing the full cancellation and showing like Christian mercy." Um, like that, that's that's out the window at, th- at this point. Uh, there's no Christian mercy on Twitter. So anyway, so I think this it's- is a hu- this is a hugely important irony that the people on the left that are calling for police reform and prison abolition and saying that our law enforcement goes too far and our prison, the prison industrial complex has to end, there is no restorative justice or hope for people within our own communities to reform themselves. And I think that's it's so hypocritical because what what is the option for Amy Cooper? If Amy Cooper shows remorse and she regrets what she did and she learns from this and she wants to restore her place in the community, what is available to her? Yeah, I think it's it's like you know sack, sackcloth and ashes and walk barefoot to Jerusalem or something like feel like people want their enemies destroyed um, in whatever way. So losing the job is the most obvious one, and she already did lose her job, and she, she the, like the dog she got was taken away from her. So she so she so like her life sucks now more than more than it did. And yeah, I don't know how she, she, there's no way for her to to like get back to something. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was just like it was just so crazy that pe- that the the guy who would have been the victim 
of this right, in a scenario was like, no, I don't want her to be punished any further. And random this people online were, were like, right. no, punish, punish. Like they're, they're, they're throwing stones. They want more, you know, they want to see more vengeance wrecked. And yeah, who is, I, I joked, who is, you know, before we defund the police, can we wrestle the Karens? Like who's going to arrest the Karens if we, if we don't have cops? Like that's, that's a problem to figure out. So <laughs> yeah. So I, I, so it's like, you know, everyone wants, you know, their, part, their enemy my- just to suffer. Right. Like no but matter what. Part of my lay person's understanding of restorative justice is, is is you you actually talk to the victim and you say like what would you like? Christian Cooper's the victim of this scenario, so if we aren't listening to Christian Cooper, it's it's a farce. Yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, I think and I hope to. I'm going to do another episode with, um, I don't even know what I should say because I might get canceled, but a person whose name was mentioned in this conversation, I'm going to do, oh my God. do an upco- upcoming episode with that person and we'll have to see uh, it, whether it even airs because I might be you know, wanting to go underground or something after the recording. But um, I, w- I want to talk more about um, this the stuff. And all, but, is, uh, my group feels betrayed by me. That's the thing. My group says, I thought, you know, the sense that I get is my group saying, we thought you were one of us. You're one of them. And I'm saying, listen, can I just be like, can I be a little of this? Can I be a little of that? Can I have my own thoughts and opinions? Am I allowed to have my own thoughts and opinions anymore? I'm not. Or am I I'm supposed to suffer consequence? They would say you you can have your own opinions, but you have to suffer the consequences of those opinions. <laughs> or you move into this space of like the contrarian, which is, you know, is a role that one can play. And in some ways, um, all four of the people who are on the hosted the conversation with you, play the contrarian to more or lesser degrees. And, um, and that is, you know, that is opposed to take. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say any more than that. But, um, but yeah, I would just say that with the whole cancel closest thing, I think should be broken up into, you know, is there a new moral climate? Is it a technological change? Obviously it's, it's both. Um, is it, you know, what, like, what is the, the, like, um, economic, uh, like ramifications. Why, you know, why uh, can someone be fired so easily in the United States? Like, you know, it, it is in France or something, is this playing out where they, because everyone is unionized, they, uh, the most they can do is give them like, you know, they have to sit, uh, in like the rubber room or something for two weeks. Uh, if, if <laughs> the French version of Amy Cooper. So, so I don't know, but I think, I, I think like ca- cancel culture has revealed itself to be, you know, something exists, something is happening, but it's, it's more spread out and it's not just what, you know, uh, Dave Rubin or something, uh, would, would say about it that it's just, you know, these, these crazy lefties, uh, out of control kind of thing. I I think it's, it's much more complicated. Yeah. And I think when you say when you call it Twitter culture instead, like there's this social scientist named Nathan Jurgensen who has this idea of digital dualism, which is the idea that online isn't real life that people think online isn't real life. And I've always pushed back against this because I think online life is totally real. And I think that's becoming more clear to normies who maybe haven't spent as much time online as you and I have, because now that we're all at home during the pandemic, it's very clear that what's happening is happening on the internet and that it has really, really, it can have really severe real world consequences. It can also have positive real world consequences, like the spread of the black lives matter movement, you know, thanks to social media. I think that's positive, mm-hmm. but, um, if people are losing their jobs for tweets, I don't think that's positive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe this will be, this will be the last question. Do you think if like, uh, um, we can magically snap our fingers and, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all social media, uh, was gone in an instant, uh, would that be a better world than our current world or, or not? Oh. I don't think so. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or maybe it's just it's too hard for me to even imagine what that would be like. Mm-hmm. Like work, work professionalism is so connected now to social media. Um, if you work in the white collar industry, mm-hmm. um, how would it be possible to work? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, somehow it happened like in, before 1997 or something, uh, like, like stuff got done and, and people lived their lives. I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think if I magically could snap my fingers and, and do it, even though I, you know, I've wasted, you know, scores of hours of my life on these various platforms and I've made, uh, good friends on Twitter, especially, uh, people who I never would have met otherwise, like, you know, if, if, if these either evaporated at this point or if we could time machine and baby Hitler kind of, kind of thing and, and, and stop them before they, they launch, then, uh, it, it does seem like I, absent Twitter, 
or in Facebook, like I don't think we have President Trump, so that would be a better world. Um, and true. then if, we, if they all just disappeared now, yeah, maybe we've we're, maybe we're in too deep or something. But I do I do think it would I, I do think it would be a better world um, than uh, than, our, than our current world, which isn't very good. So it wouldn't take much to make it make it a better world. I think I've just had so many so many positive experiences online and so many parts of my career are thanks to things that happened online that it's like hard to imagine my life without it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I've worked for a website. But it also for- it does. I, I described it in an interview recently as like an abusive relationship. Like I know I should stop and yet I keep going back, but I'm like, this time will be different. And then I keep going back, you know, I'm like, I should really spend less time doing this and then I do it. It's, I mean, it's addictive. It's, it, you yeah. know, it's scientifically addictive. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that, no, that's a, that's a good metaphor. And you could think like, you know, you don't know how it really is. You know, when it's just me and Twitter, like you don't know, right. like, like Twitter is so sweet. There's good stuff too. <laughs> Sometimes it's really nice. Right. Um. <laughs> um, okay. So we've got a little bit over an hour. So why don't we, I think we should end it there. Is there anything else you want to say before I we wrap that's up? Perfect. I think that's perfect. Okay. So, so the book, self-care, a novel, it's a satire. I recommend it. Um, it's a good, it's a good read. Um, Stein, Even if you don't like novels, if you spend a lot of time online, this is the book for you. Um, I agree with that. And uh, okay, so you are on you are on social media. Uh, yes. and so you're on Twitter, and it's, it rhymes with B. Is yes. That your, uh, so rhymes, rhymes with B E E. Help people pronounce my name. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, so so check Lee out there. Uh, I'm uh, R E A C W on Twitter, and. Um, yeah, so, th- so thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on. And, uh, thanks, Aria. Thanks to our viewers and listeners, and we'll see you again next time.